tēnā tātou katoa, no mai, whakarongo mai, welcome to One News Inside Parliament. Ko Lillian Hanley tōku ingoa, I'm Lillian Hanley, the One News politi- political producer, and it's nice to have such nice energy in this room, everyone dancing to the theme tune. It's very cold though, outside, uh, and as uh, we go to record this, I believe Spain and the Netherlands have just kicked off in the kind of final... FIFA Wellington game, which is a bit sad. But enough sports news. With me to discuss all things political are the most transparent and unclassified of New Zealand political nice. reporting. Did you like that, Felix? I did. My name's Felix Demray. I'm the digital political reporter for One and News. I'm, and I'm Benedict Collins. Do you um, think, uh, just uh, sorry, no, do you no, think that ahead. Spain and the Netherlands listen to the Inside Parliament um, oh. theme tune? to like get themselves arrived up. up before the game. I reckon they probably did. It's quite a jaunty I genuinely tune. had the thought when you when we were just listening to it there, obviously, because <laughs> it's at the beginning of the podcast. Well, they uh, probably paused the game just to listen, I'd say. <laughs> but I felt like I should learn it. It's actually, I want to go learn it on the piano now so I can just bust it out whenever and start talking about politics. Look, I, not to say that people who are into politics are nerds, but... If there are listeners out there who can play piano who want to send that into us, I would be into it. I'm just saying. I can play piano. Well, are, are you Does a listener? Does it not count? Though? Do I just <laughs> send it in myself? You can, yeah. All right. Number one fan. Uh, speaking of unclassified, hot off the press today, we uh, had a report from our spy agencies that named China, Iran and Russia as threats and as having conducted societal interference. Felix, you wrote this up today. What did you think? Yeah, Felix. I, 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 well, Benedict, so the reason Benedict's uh, voice was so edged with tension just then um, is because we've had a little bit of a... a uh, a discussion in our newsroom about whether or not this is a interesting and insightful report. Um, and I think that it is. I mean, it is broad strokes, but that is the point of it. It's meant to be high level. Um, and I, I mean, it's more than we've ever probably had from our spy agency. I thought it provided some pretty useful insights into um, some of the threats facing New Zealand, um, some of them we know, um, but perhaps more anecdotally, and it's good to have it written down, I reckon. Yeah, so there are sort of a few different themes they had, right? So they called out um, China, Iran and Russia as um, con- conducting sort of different types of um, foreign interference. I think with Iran it was more kind of keeping, it, you know, with the big protests that they've had over there and we've had matching protests in New Zealand, the Iranian authorities kind of keeping an eye, um, surveilling those protesters, um, uh, you know, trying to collect information on them. Uh, when it came to China, a whole array of um, things. There was a case study um, in the report as well, which talked about a um, senior p- person and who um, kind of had oversight of policy and stuff in this New Zealand being kind of uh, approached and by the um, Chinese um, people connected with the Chinese government, I guess the Chinese embassy. I wonder if that's the guy from the um, Public Service Commission who was um, recently stood down and went public, um, you know, protesting that he was innocent after the SIS accused him of um, basically, you know, trading information with um, someone at the embassy. Mm. Um, his defence, of course, was that his um, boy played table tennis and so did the boy, the, uh, the son of the, or daughter, I can't remember, of the um, person at the embassy and that's why they were communicating with one another. Um, yeah, but I think that was one of the case studies uh, that they've put in there. And they've also, um, yeah, Russia was a little bit different. They kind of talked about Russia more and um, 
big picture stuff sort of saying how, you know, all around the world they're trying to sort of derail support for Ukraine. Uh, and then on the domestic front, they kind of talked about um, the pandemic and how lots of people kind of got hooked into misinformation and disinformation around that. And then even after, um, you know, the mandates and everything are gone around the pandemic, a lot of those people kind of... In- um, a lot of those people Violent with a mic ho- there. hooked up, yeah, hooked up yeah. into that kind of scene and now adopting very extreme positions on a whole lot of other yeah, issues. They're staying down the rabbit yeah. hole, albeit not necessarily yeah. about the mandates anymore. Yeah, and they also talked about, um, you know, like um, economic espionage and stuff like that. Interestingly, in the report, they didn't talk about any of the stuff that we do. Um, no, no mention whatsoever of New Zealand's economic um, espionage that we carry out, like... Remember just a few years ago, um, it was revealed that the GCSB had been spying on Tim Gross's um, potential rivals when he was going for the top job at the World Trade Organization. Yeah, strange that they left this stuff out around our own espionage. Strange um, that spies yeah, don't want to Maybe talk there's about another report coming yeah, next week or something where we're going to declare <laughs> yeah. our own hand here. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, um, we'll just, yeah, I'll just wait by the mailbox, this. shall I? Um, so quite, see a, that comes yeah. quite an international focus then, I suppose, or yeah. at least uh, looking at what is being done to us rather than what mm, we might mm, be rather doing. Rather than disclosing our own hand. Yeah, yeah. and I, I guess uh, to, the reason I keep saying unclassified is, as you pointed out, Felix, it's probably the the more that we have seen than or read than ever before mm. um, in that we probably knew some of these things or guessed some of these things um, and we talk around these things a lot in terms of what's also going on internationally uh, but this was probably the first time it's been formally written down on a piece of paper. Well it almost certainly was because as I understand it the report was precipitated by the um, March 15, 2019 Christchurch terror Correct. attacks. Um, it's the first time that we've seen that level of unclassified so, info. And that's because it was a recommendation in, in that Royal Commission to do so, right, to actually be a bit more transparent around some of the things that we are facing. Which I do think is quite interesting to say to spies, hey, can you be more transparent? I mean, these two things do not go together, surely. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not turning it down. I found it very interesting. Well, yeah, speaking of transparency, the... Um uh, spy boss Andrew Hampton is refusing uh, to do any interviews around this report, so we don't really get to dig into um, anything particularly um, that, that I would have liked to have been able to um, uh, discuss with him about this report. It also reminds me, on Friday last week, um, Lillian, you went along bright and early on Friday morning um, to right. Andrew Little. He was announcing, like, basically releasing some first of its kind, the, I believe, kind yeah. of defence strategy uh, papers, right? Yes, defence policy, strategic review documents, things like that. And, and it's sexy good, title. It's yeah, good yeah, you yeah, raise it kind of the title because I do yeah. think it does go a little bit hand in hand, right? That Andrew Little did make mention of the fact that you know the, the, these unclassified documents were coming. Um, it's all I think there's a there's a bit of a shift there here in terms of these conversations that are being had about what we need to do to prepare for these you know international threats and things like that. So th- there's these documents that were released last week um, and we're also expecting next year a a plan basically that outlines kind of what we need to do and how we would pay for that <laughs> or if, you know the fact that we need to pay for it yeah more money for defense exactly right? and that's Andrew Little is is saying that this is kind of where we're going and the conversation that we need to have and it also needs to be a public one hence again the transparency transparency around the information um, it was interesting though Helen Clark tweeted after the release of those documents saying that this was very much a kind of push into a more 
hawkish position right and kind of al- aligning ourselves more with the US and she her tweets I think were, were kind of a call to kind of remain the as that independent foreign policy that we've had for a long time. And not be Uncle Sam's lapdog, I think, was kind of the was thrust her of her, just, her yes, tweets. Yeah. One right. of the really interesting things I thought um, I heard there when I listened back to the um, press conference was uh, the Defence Minister, Andrew Little, kind of talking about threats and saying, oh, you know, um, you know, we have to be ready. For example, you know, if there's a dispute in the South China Sea, we may be called upon to go up there and play our role. And let's not forget $20 billion worth of our trade goes up through the South China Sea. And I thought, uh, just reflecting on that, I thought, oh, that's really interesting that you would describe it like that. That we'd just be called upon to play our role. Who's doing the calling here? And, and why would we that, just, you know, jump as soon as they call mean? us? Don't, don't, wouldn't we have some sort of independent thought going on here? I also thought it was interesting that you'd talk about, you know, possibly getting involved in a conflict in the South China Sea Um, to protect our exports, given a lot of those exports would be going to China itself. Um, Presumably, yeah, they wouldn't be taking a lot of our product if we were going to war with them. Maybe we want to think that one through. Very very complicated (laughs) stuff. Um, But yes, If anybody needs any advice, just give Benedict a a call. He'll he'll, he'll be available. But yes, important to note, because I don't think these things are happening in a vacuum at all. Uh, Moving on though, a strong focus on the climate this week from the government. Uh, They started the week with a bit of a puffed up announcement, you might say, of announcing some, well we had post-cab and the Prime Minister kind of clapped himself on the back for announcing some fast-tracked consents, most of which had already been announced, um, but also some new wind farms. Uh, Then we had a rather large investment from BlackRock, an um, asset manager fund investors, guys, those guys, a $2 billion fund announced. Um, and it's not entirely clear how it works exactly, but you know, there's been a lot of commentary around the announcement itself, given that the government kind of made the announcement with BlackRock next to them, yet there's no government money actually going into the fund. And some people were con- you know, confused about that. Yeah, I did see some people saying, with what money is the government going to pump two billion? And it's like, well, it's not government money, and it's not even BlackRock's money. It's BlackRock are raising that Correct. capital, which is again another conversation that that's you know began in the sense of the way that these funds are managed and how they work, and if we're going to be relying on those more, and and whether that's a good or a bad thing, etc. Um, but ultimately, the idea with the fund is that there is money for businesses to be able to kind of draw on so that they can invest in their own transitions to cleaner, greener energy, that yeah. kind of thing. And remember these announcements this week, these climate-focused announcements, even Monday's kind of um, puffed-up, as you put it, announcement around work they've been doing over the last few years. Um, this all comes off the back of their big... Um, uh, motorways announcement at, right. at the weekend, right? The extra um, <laughs> tunnels um, going under the Waitamata Harbour in, in Auckland, which they were roundly criticised for. Um, the Greens said it was, you know, preposterous that they would consider pumping all this money into building more lanes for motor vehicles in the middle of a, middle of a climate crisis. And they were apoplectic about the government pumping, what was it, 35 to 45 billion odd dollars into this project, while at the same time saying, oh, no, 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 the economic conditions just aren't right for us to do anything significant on tax, like a wealth tax. <laughs> so I, I kind of enjoyed watching that play but out and the government who, who, pivoting this week to was its a, climate-friendly yeah. policies. You know who was a fan of that announcement, though, was the National Party. Yes. <laughs> they were yeah. like, yep, yeah, sounds Very like a good idea. Yeah, and except the only for the thing they rail. were saying is yeah. like, look, 
but it's probably not going to happen, <laughs> you know. So mm. um, that's interesting, isn't it? That's Labour and right. National handshake emoji. Handshake emoji. And with the Greens too, I guess them pointing out that they should, you know, with the government, if they were going to do this, prioritise the light rail tunnel before the roading tunnels was their, their position too. One more thing to mention though, the tripling of the size of the marine reserve in the Hauraki Gulf, which is, you know, that's pretty positive, I would say. I think a lot of people welcomed that announcement this week, although some advocate groups were also disappointed not to see a ban on um, bottom trawling. Mm. So I think... So there's a... I think there's a partial ban on bottom, bottom trawling in some areas. Um, but, yeah, what those groups were calling for is they're saying, well, why aren't you banning it in the whole Hodaki Gulf mm. area? Yeah. They, so were, they still, were pretty mad. So a lot of work to be done there. But I just thought I'd mention, too, on the sense that back when Hipkins kind of – he became Prime Minister and he did this, you know, his reshuffle and he also did this refocus, reprioritisation with these – the policy bonfire, as it was put, um, he was criticised for dropping a lot of the climate stuff. Do you think that this week has done enough, perhaps, to maybe rebalance that? Do you think he's, you know, this kind of focus on climate this week shows that he is he is mindful of the fact that <laughs> climate change is happening and and things need to be done about it? Yeah, I do feel like he was kind of signalling that, you know, back when he was being criticised for some of those, uh, getting rid of some of those climate initiatives, he was sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sort of hinting that there might be some announcements there was more to coming, come. right? Um, whether or not that's enough to deal with our climate crisis, which isn't even impending anymore, it is right on our doorstep. Mm. I mean, I'm not a climate scientist, but my senses might not be enough. I think we need quite some quite drastic mm. change, probably. And it's also quite, like, we're we're in a recess week currently, but we've only got a three-week sitting block left before <laughs> yeah. the election campaign and the election. And so there's a lot of policy and legislation that will not actually be seen in the House at all. Speaking of, this morning, a little announcement about the gender pay gap. Felix, is this something that the government's making moves on? Well, yeah, well, that was the, uh, the I believe, the headline of the, the government press release. Uh, I think it was government takes action on the gender pay gap, um, which, uh, interestingly, was the almost the exact same, if not the exact same, um, headline of a 2019 release from the government, um, which I thought was quite Awkward. interesting. Um, uh, yeah, so the, basically, on the face of it, the government was announcing that um, they're going to bring in... They're going to make compel hundreds of companies um, to report on their gender pay gap, and that this is a good thing because if you report on it, then you can acknowledge the problem and you can possibly do something about it. The only problem is is that what they were actually announcing is reporting. Uh, what was the phrase? A report a pay, pay gap reporting system. That's what they've settled on. That's going to go into legislation, but that or a bill, but that bill is not even drafted yet. And as you said just before, we have three weeks. sitting weeks <laughs> left. So call me a cynic, but I kind of find it hard to believe that a piece of legislation is going to be drafted, I don't know, over the weekend mm. uh, and then introduced Chucked to Parliament, go through first reading, even under urgency. Um, and, you know, it takes quite a long time to draft. And it's, 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 it's not going to be drafted over the weekend at all because, as the government has said, they want to consult on this piece of legislation or before they write it. And so, so I guess uh, I, what I 
am thinking around it is that perhaps there's quite a lot of signalling going on, right? Like this is this is them still trying to yeah, signalling is to, not action though. No, yeah. and, but it's them it's their them saying this is our agenda. This is stuff that we would probably continue if we were voted in. And yeah. as Audrey Young. Um, put it in her politics briefing today around the fact that you know the we, we've had a lot of weeks of especially at postcab this kind of Chris Hipkins having to go oh we're not going to announce our policy yet but oh is this government position oh I'm not you know like he, he's sort of had to kind of go between being the Labour leader and the Prime Minister and not kind of putting a full foot on either side I don't mm. know it's been a it's been a weird dance to watch I mm. I feel mm. of him having to kind of navigate that but Audrey pointed out I think in her, her piece around this is him campaigning as Prime Minister this is him you know these are big set, set pieces but it's it's government policy but we could probably believe that it would be Labour policy Benedict you're nodding away Oh, I just wanted to, if we could like hit rewind okay. um, back to Go our back. climate change conversation. I just wanted to, not to bum you out for your weekend, um, everyone. But this is a quote from the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, from about 10 days ago. He said, the era of global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has arrived. And I'm um, watching all those pics from Hawaii. Um, yeah. Coming in, you know, wildfires across North America. Yeah. That was actually going to be my pitch, basket. the wildfires in Hawaii. Yeah, was there the flooding moment. in Canada just recently as well, I think? Was it Canada? Yeah. Thanks, now, Lisa. Now, producer <laughs> Lisa, not she in producer Lisa, Lisa, she's on the, on the money with that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there is some desperate, urgency with climate change. Desperate times. As it turns out. Uh, mm. Quickly, before we do wrap up, a couple of other bits oh, and pieces. I, I've just got a little bit uh, more of a rant okay. um, on that pay gap thing. Um, we did ask the government today... Um, <laughs> Benedict's sitting up. He's ready for the rant. Um, I think he's ready to go watch the football. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, Now I'm under pressure. Right. Um, We asked the government when they thought that this legislation, if drafted, would actually, uh, you know, uh, come to the House. And they said next term, beginning of next term. But uh, that's all very well. But Labour cannot work on the assumption that they are going to win the election. You might so, be lucky, guys. Um, yeah, okay. I'm done with Good. it. I'm undu- okay. I've moved on. End of the rant? Okay. Right. I, I haven't moved on. Um, just a couple of other things. <laughs> uh, National saying that they're going to ban cell phones in schools this week. This caused a little bit of... Uh, yeah, this was a good little, drama, good, maybe good not little discussion Tech, point, tension. I reckon. Um, so the National Party announced, yeah, that they would br- basically bring in a regulation, some red tape for the children, um, uh, and that they would bring in a mandate and they would ban cell phone use in school. There would be exemptions, exceptions to the rule where, you know, like a science teacher might be able to let the kids apply to the principal um, to bring their cell phones into class to take some photos of their science projects or, you know, if they really needed them for a lesson or whatever, the teachers could apply to the principal. I did talk to one um, former school teacher this week who said, oh, right, like a principal would want to deal with that all the time. Anyway, but yeah, they would um, plan to bring in this formal government mandate and Christopher Luxon was talking all about the... um, uh, the success that we've seen internationally, reports showing you know student achievement is really improved when they focus, when they're not constantly distracted by their phones. Um, he cited one study which said maybe achievement is lifted by you know around six percent. Now the government's response was, hey, lots of schools already restrict them anyway. We were voxing parents up in Auckland and Wellington, and we spoke to one young student in Wellington who was like. But we don't use them anyway because we have to hand them into the school office in the morning and we get them back at the end of the day. So lots of schools are already choosing their own restrictions. Um, 
but yeah, Christopher Luxon really wanted to come in with with the red tape, um, and that it kind of really impressed me. Or I, I had this little light bulb went off in my head that morning, and I was like, "Oh, I can think of another group of people who use their cell phones constantly, are constantly <laughs> distracted, and that is members of Parliament." And so we um, we went back through the file footage. Our uh, brilliant library team went back and got like dozens of MPs just scrolling away on their phones and select committees, bored out of their minds, not listening to a word that's going on. Um, we had like some wide shots from in the house with dozens of MPs just, you know, scrolling away on their phones. Look, I've been thinking, if we can improve student achievement by 6% by getting the phones out of the classrooms, surely a ban in Parliament. I mean, imagine what we might be able to do to the level of political discourse, the level of our... You know, our legislation, if we can make all that 6% better. Um, and we did ask Christopher Luxon if he would ban his MPs from using um, their phones, and he said no. Maybe if we did do that, we'd get the gender pay gap legislation through faster. Yeah. Maybe, well, yes. maybe it's an issue for the Speaker. Maybe this. it's time he bans MPs it's from using their phones in the House. impossible to know how much more productive uh, Parliament might be. I mean, there might be even more action on climate change as well. Without, no. You know, yeah. I think we should just get like a, a, a chest and a, like a, a, a treasure chest kind of thing. And all of the MPs, as soon as they come into the building every day, they put their phones well, in Well, they there. already do it for caucus, right? When they go into their caucus meetings, they yeah. will have to leave their cell phones That's outside. The cute little picture Yeah, I think they should have to do it in the house. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a, what, is, what is it? Is like it only Labour does a, that? Or is cloth. it both, uh, both major parties? They've got their little um, almost it's burlap like a, sack. Yeah, the, um, a bunch of sacks with their photos on it. So you put your phone in your little yeah, personal bag. Yeah, so you bag. don't lose your phone. Set a good example for the children. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also another little bit Solutions of policy only. from ACT uh, on wanting to remove cultural reports and sentencing and Benedict you pointed out that this was something similar that uh, National moved to do earlier this year in June um, and they repeated that yesterday National though saying that they would stop the state from funding them so, yeah, sort so of I, th- I think it was at their annual conference they suggested they um, had a problem with that um, uh, like Six, seven years ago, you had a couple of dozen, or this is off the top of my head, very few um, cultural reports being done. Now you have several thousand being done, and all these companies are popping up everywhere to do cultural reports, right? And they can lead to big sentence decreases. And that was the day, actually, that um, they the government brought in Kitty Allen, um, who we later found out was on stress leave and stuff, and, and she said, oh, yeah, that's something the government's actually looking at. They have a, a bit of an issue too with this um, whole sort of cottage industry, I think they're calling it, that's popped up around cultural reports, but ACT wanting to um, stop them being used Get as a... Get rid of them um, entirely. For, for discounts. Take or take it into factor yeah. A during sentencing. So slightly different issues, right? So if you, you look into what... Or National will get rid of funding. The funding of it, but perhaps that. not yeah. necessarily being totally opposed to the existence of them mm. because I think a lot of advocates, in terms of being supportive of, of the fact uh, to to include context like that, you know, it's fairly it's a fairly important thing to do. There was a crim- criminal lawyer yesterday on... Um, Breakfast pointing out that that's you know it's relevant information and and has been useful as such. Yeah, and so we that's did a discussion. Try to ask to Christopher Luxon what his position was generally on cultural, what role he thought cultural background should take in sentencing, which is what the ACT Party would want to remove from the law. Um, and he proceeded to answer that you know that what the national policy was is to take uh, funding away from cultural mm. reports, which is not exactly an answer to that question. 
finally, just to mention, unless Ben actually wants to add anything to he's that. He's just written something down yeah, in his notepad, got which is exciting to something. Us. Uh, maybe he's got his pen. And he did it with quite a flourish, too. He was quite excited. I just <laughs> sure we'll find out soon. shout out to the secondary teachers who accepted their pay offer this week, getting a 14.5% pay rise, I believe. Um, and Chris Hipkins not being pulled on yesterday in the stand-up on the, on the issue of whether strikes work or not. He made the point that actually it was arbitration that worked, but of course strikes got them to arbitration. So anyhow, uh, last mention... Funny for a Labour Prime Minister that's right, to, to be like, strikes don't strikes work. don't work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was that was actually in Taranaki. Uh, Chris Hipkins and Carmel Cipollone went to Taranaki where... That's where Carmel Cipollone is from in Waitara and Chris Kipkin's mum attended Waitara High School, apparently, um, as did my mum. So that's buzzy, one of my mums. Um, but it, I thought it was an interesting way of kind of kicking... It seems that like one of their first kind of campaign moves together out in the regions, I thought, yesterday. Um, a bit of a signal of, you know, we're going to get start getting a bit more of that um, and also just signalling that we are expecting on Sunday a Labour announcement Finally, so not a government announcement, but a Labour announcement. And there's widespread speculation that it might be on tax. Might be on tax, which we've been dun, waiting dun, for. Dun. Very and, interesting. And Chris Evans has said for multiple weeks that he'll have something to say on that in a couple of weeks. Hmm. We might be there. Okay, my pits and peaks. Right, I've got. Yeah, I've got. I've got you writing down. Now I'm not sure what. Um, Act MP Simon Court's cultural background is. Turns out he didn't need a cultural background report because he never um, got charged. But Barry Soper, um, a former political editor down at Parliament, um, did a little story on uh, a few days ago about Simon Court, the Act Party MP, admitted that he got shot in the foot with a shotgun when he was 17 years old after a drug deal went wrong. Now, Simon Court um, sounds like he had a fair bit of his foot blown off and spent quite a few weeks in hospital. However, the, um, the way he described the incident was quite interesting. He said he was, he'd gone on a camping trip up north with his friends and one of the guys he was with wanted to buy some weed. Uh, so they, they went to a, pop, a property to a, a buy some marijuana, but he felt quite uncomfortable and left. And he made it clear that he had no real interest in the, uh, the weed or, or, or the purchasing of the weed. However, later, the people they'd bought the weed off turned up at their campsite with a shotgun, put it in his face, ended up shooting him in the foot. Now, it sounds like they'd tried to take their car as well. Um, Simon Court said uh, his friend never got charged trying to buy the weed, but the guy who shot him was arrested and charged. Um, yeah, and it all kind of felt to me a little bit like the stories I used to try and spin to get myself out of trouble when I was like a teenager. Like, oh yeah, uh, uh, you know, we were there trying to buy weed, but it wasn't me, it was my friend Johnny. Um, <laughs> I was present, you know, not like, active. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, David Seymour um, uh, said he was relaxed about Simon Court's past. He said, as far as I'm concerned, he hasn't actually committed a crime. Even if he had, he wouldn't be the only teenager in New Zealand that's bought some weed. Um, but he would be one of the very few who got shot with a shotgun in the foot. Shot in the foot with a shotgun as a result. So yeah, I thought that was that was uh, very interesting. And I'm looking forward to um, chatting to Simon Court about that. Hmm. David Samuel seems to be talking about weed a lot this week. Yes, that's right. He got, um, he got a bit of a serve from Audrey Young after he suggested that a um, news hub uh, journalist may have smoked some weed before he interviewed him um, uh, last last weekend, um, and um, Audrey Young said, 
get some boundaries, Seymour, I believe was her. Um, <laughs> That's the way she put it. Was her, exactly. was her serve to him. But yeah, don't you hate it when your mates take you on drug deals that you don't want to be involved in? Oh, it happens and all the, the yeah, time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just no interest whatsoever. Himself <laughs> in, in, in the weed that they were going to buy. Felix. Upstanding citizen. You like um, to share your pits and peaks. My, my pit are uh, 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 non-announcements from the government. Uh, obviously, it's not just the Labour Party who are... Who, who do this, um, but it has been the Labour Party this week, um, particularly with that pay gap announcement. I, you know, they were basically announcing that they'd figured out reporting, uh, a reporting system, um, and they were going to put it in legislation that may or may not even come to Parliament. Um, I, I find it kind of, um, well, not kind of, I find it contemptuous of the public when they make announcements, pat themselves on the back for achievements or ostensible achievements. Um, when that's not what has happened at all. And I think the public is smarter than that. And, um, yeah, don't do that. I think it's, yeah, it's crappy. Um, and then on uh, my pit, uh, my peak, sorry, is actually the um, awesome graphics on the onenews.co.nz website. Uh, we've got a great graphics team. I just want to do a shout out, shout out for them, really. I, you know, I write a political story and they just make it sing with their really cool graphics. So um, head on to the website to take a look at that. So nice, Felix. Oh. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy. So. <laughs> Um, I'll just quickly, I did say my pit earlier with the wildfires in Hawaii, um, so thinking of everyone there going through that at the moment. Um, my peak, though, is a little bit more nerdy, was that during this Black Rock announcement this week that on the off chance, Brett Christophers was actually in the country, um, and he's written a book about these sort of asset managers and, and these sorts of funds and just around how, you know, we should be wary of them um, but also that they, they, I guess that they do a bit of good and we kind of can't ignore that so his, the way he put it was you know if it was BlackRock investing in climate infrastructure as opposed to nobody investing in climate infrastructure you'd, you'd know what you want to choose um, but I guess the point being that we should inform ourselves about how these things work and, and, and what they mean and what they could do because off, more often than not is what his book says um, and the research that he's looked at is that they are the kind of infrastructure that they, that they fund or for example housing often it's kind of worse off for the people that use them. That's his kind of general statement so we should be wary of them and inform ourselves about them. And just something Finally, just a little less cerebral to finish off with. Last week, just after our podcast, uh, up in the house watching Nicola Willis question Grant Robertson about the fiscal hole, where she missed the word fiscal out of her uh, question and asked Grant Robertson how big is his hole, which led to absolute hysterics among the house. Um, uh, Grant Robertson very funnily said, that is not in the public interest. Um Nicola Willis was absolutely mortified, managed to finish her question, sat down and covered her entire face with her hand. That would have been, that is my other peak for it last week. Wasn't it? And oh. it just like with the two best MPs for that to happen yeah. to as well, because they've both got good senses of humour. And I noticed Nicola Willis, she posted it again on her on her social yeah. media channels. So she's I, obviously got a, a yeah. you know, she can laugh at herself as well. Yeah, I just don't know if I'll ever be able to take her seriously again. <laughs> 
That's um, what I'm I do like right now. just to add to this though. Benedict was very quick to go up to Second Bridge, so that's where we wait for the politicians to leave the house after question time. Um, and the timing was also perfect because Grant Robertson walked out first, and Benedict asked about his the probing question from Nicola Willis, and then as Grant Robertson answered and then walked away, Nicola Willis walked just past, at that moment. and Benedict it was said, "Ah, Nicola." <laughs> It was great timing on yeah. your part. All right. Incredible performance, Benedict. Let's leave it there. Thank you very much. This was One News Inside Parliament, your peek behind the scenes on the biggest political stories of the week inside Parliament. Head to One News for more insight and follow One News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. One News Inside Parliament is available on all good and even average podcasting apps where you can also leave us a rating. To finish off, a big thank you to our recording team, Brian and Lisa. Hey there, Wiki. Catch you all next week. A bientôt. Don't go with your mates to buy weed if you don't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs>